The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. All right, away we go. It's the Culture War segment Tuesdays at this time, and uh, a lot of things to discuss this morning. To join us in the studio and do that, the Reverend Joe Boot, a senior pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto. Good morning, Joe. Morning, John. Morning, Justin. And Justin Tracci, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Good morning, both Top of you. Top of the morning to you. Guys, i got to start with this one because, uh, you know, it came out a few weeks back, but uh, an important story, a married mom and dad really do matter. This is new evidence from a study, the Canadian census, uh, the most recent, which was the period from 06 to 11, uh, and uh, the numbers were crunched. And the conclusion, according to the study's author, is that a married mom and dad matter for children. Children of same-sex couple households do not fare as well, especially uh, daughters of lesbian couples. For some reason, uh, this cohort or this demographic uh, fared rather poorly on the scale. And uh, Joe Boot, I'm going to ask you first off, uh, what do you make of this study? Is, I mean, uh, can we say that this might just be an anomaly or is there uh, scientific evidence now to corroborate what maybe some people have believed that their, uh, the gay marriage thing was a social experiment now Finally, we're getting some hard and fast data. What do you say? Well, I just don't think uh, any reasonable person is going to be in the least bit surprised by any of this. Um, Numerous studies previously with respect to uh, parenthood and single-parent families and so forth have shown that the married uh, couple, uh, the mother and father, are basic to the uh, healthy development of children and that uh, children in secure, uh, non-divided uh, homes where uh, there is a married mother and father uh, do best. So I think this just adds uh, more weight to the fact that uh, the family is central as in the social order and central to the success of children, and furthermore, that the parents are not interchangeable. M- men and women are not interchangeable in terms of their impact upon uh, these the mental, social, emotional development of children. This study actually demonstrates that. Now, the second part of this particular study, of course, is the the issue of um, same-sex partnerships. I've certainly got more to say about that. But in terms of this corroborating what I think is basically known and appreciated by the vast majority of ordinary Canadian people know that a married mum and dad is the best environment for, for raising children. It's not to say that there aren't people doing their best in other situations, but it does mean that this is the, as the report says, the gold standard for, for children's healthy development. All right, and you talk about impact. And uh, one finding from the study, and it's uh, in the journal Review of the Economics of the Household and Analyzing Data from a Very Large Population-Based Sample. Uh, it says that, for example, uh, the children of gay and lesbian couples are only about 65% as likely to have graduated from high school as the children of married opposite-sex couples. Justin Trottier, I mean... There's pretty large disparity there, 65% uh, versus I don't know what the other percentage would be, but I'm, uh, let's assume it's not 100%, but still, it falls short of uh, what Joe Boot calls the gold standard. Mm-hmm. What do we conclude from this, or is there anything to be drawn? What inference here? 
Well, it's hard to draw conclusions from a single study. And even in this particular study, and it it is very interesting and should certainly be considered, um, it is acknowledged in its introduction that it is at odds with most of the the literature, that, that there are upwards of 50 studies that have looked at with different kinds of methodological approaches, comparing lots of different metrics. This one was looking only at uh, graduation success, which is very important, of course. Um, but other studies looking at other metrics have reported very different results. Uh, this study itself uh, acknowledges that uh, children uh, raised in heterosexual versus homosexual uh, households are just as likely to be, quote, healthy, successful, and well-adjusted. So th- we have to look at the larger context there. Uh, Having said that, um, and also acknowledging that there are flaws with this particular study, as with all studies, in terms of methodology, this study did not look at the history of the children, did not look at uh, how the children were brought into this world, whether they were brought in through, say, assisted reproductive technologies, whether children were uh, in adoption scenarios. uh, All of those are are other competing factors to explain some of the the, uh, conclusions that were reached. Having said that, I, I do think that theoretically it is, of course, conceivable that there is something unique about a, a married mother and father couple. Um, I, I am definitely a big proponent of exploring the consequences of fatherlessness. I think that the uh, the that is something that that needs to be studied more because uh, I think it's it's very clear cut from what we've seen that there are serious consequences to fatherlessness. However, is that largely or solely because of the difference between having two parents and one parent, or is there something unique about having a male and a, and a female? I think the research isn't as conclusive. Is it nearly as conclusive on that question? All right. Although you cite myriad studies, this one seems to be more comprehensive, or at least its author claims are the people who are uh, you know behind this, the Review of Economics of the Household. It's a 20% sample of the Canadian census, the overall mm-hmm. census, so it's pretty It's broadly. a very significant study. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear uh, Justin talking about fatherlessness there. I think when you when you think about the question of what was the situation and how did these children come to be in these homes, that only goes to demonstrate further the importance and the centrality of the family, that if there's been instability in the child's life and then they're in foster, foster care or adoption or whatever, it's the sa- part of the same challenge and problem. But here we are looking at the very unique question in this study of the impact of same-sex unions. And here, you can't, a child dropout rate or academic failure is one of the key markers of major problems in the home. For example, when a child uh, is being abused, their uh, academic uh, standards fall as one other aspect of uh, how children fare in a context in the home that is less than ideal. And uh, in the same-sex relationship idea, you have the cultural ideal of androgyny essentially being forced onto a child. What you're trying to do is you're placing them in an environment where they're being sold a lie about human identity. In the gay relationship, the man plays the role of a woman and uh, the the female and the male. But how would this impact somebody's ability to uh, do well in school where the graduation rates specifically, and this is one of the key points in the study that was just released, uh, and a broad-based study it is, uh, really drilling down on certain, you know, uh, gender-based relationships, that 65% of uh, girls in lesbian couple relationships, Mm -hmm. the girls within that unit, the so-called family unit. You may dispute that, Joe, but only 65% graduate, whereas it's higher in other family makeups. Uh, what do you think is well, the reason for that? Well, because they're so-called, so, the social reality that those girls are confronting, it's the essence of their everyday life is a lie. And they're being sold 
uh, th- th- this is the but truth. But we're told love will conquer all, and if they're in a nurturing <laughs> environment, so w- sure. what are well, you saying? This isn't to deny that people can, uh, that, that such people want to be respectful, loving, kind towards the child that they're, that they're looking after. The issue is, is that the very nature of their relationship is a fundamental distortion of created reality. That has uh, social, I, I mental, and I think if we take a step back and, and, and approach this perhaps in a more scholarly way, uh, what the research, I think, does bear out is that children benefit from having uh, two uh, parents, from having parents with, with competing approaches. From, from, they benefit from having different perspectives so a mother brought and a to father. bear on parenting. And, I, and I'm Are careful with my words on purpose. I'm not necessarily saying a mother and father. Okay. I think that's where the studies still oh, need to be just done. Just competing points of view, or well, how do you mean? It's, it's theoretically possible that in same-sex relationships and in children uh, raised in same-sex uh, households that they do benefit from two different approaches, that, that the, the two men or the two women do offer two different approaches that, that would otherwise... Although the impact uh, con- on fatherlessness seems much greater... So, right. So then the question is, is that something unique that, that only a male can bring to the, bring, to the upbringing of children? But then or you is that something that in same-sex sure, in- scenarios you can get from having two women take on different kinds of roles? And I don't know, and I'm trying to be careful sure. here because I, I don't have that. Look, I guess the takeaway from all of this is uh, this study after 1997 when gay marriage was recognized in Canada, it's like the first cohort, the yeah. impact is being felt. So it, se- it tends to suggest to me or by – inference or extrapolate that this is saying uh, gay marriage is a social experiment it is a social experiment John and and that, that I don't think that's, well, that's what the in, study's trying to yeah. say uh, I don't think that's it is a social experiment and it's it's not a successful one and uh, well the, when, as you, soon as the state got involved in marriage thousands of years ago that became a social experiment I mean in my opinion the state's involvement in in legitimizing two people to live together and to have certain benefits to that relationship well, that's always been a, a social there's experiment. A, there's a social interest it's, it's, in it's marriage a, a an interest history, of the state in the success of any given state is the marriage and what relationship. And what the research does make very clear, maybe the one thing, is that children always do better in, in situations where their parents are married, where they can enjoy the benefits that accrue from living in a household where the state affords the protections to, to, to the institute of marriage. So it's better to have a gay couple married than not married, if you want to talk about where the research, where the research falls on that. Well... From a Christian perspective, of course, the state doesn't establish marriage. It recognizes marriage. And that's the way it's been in the history of the Christian. I'm not looking at this from a Christian perspective. I'm looking at this from where do children do better. And if that's what we... And it's not in a promiscuous environment, which is the case in gay relationships. It is a promiscuous environment. The, you talk to any uh, intellectual within the context of, uh, of the gay community... There is almost no evidence at all for the idea of a monogamous, faithful relationship between gay men for the raising of children. That promiscuity has an impact upon the children living you, in that you environment. You say that, and then at the same time, when gay couples want to recognize their, their loyal, monogamous relationship to each other through marriage, which, as I've suggested and the research bears out, is better for children than to be raised in households with gay parents, well, this study is common law married, as well. It's about then you say, well, together. we should not we should not recognize same sex marriage, even though it fosters. And I think Justin, you're making it's the not marriage. That you're getting social stability within the confines of marriage, no matter what that marriage might be. If it's a gay marriage, it's a common law marriage, or it's a, a heterosexual marriage. We'll come back, uh, continue the debate, and there's more uh, planks in the platform of the culture war with uh, the Reverend Joe Boot and Justin Trotchy. All right, let's get back into it with our two panelists this morning, the Reverend Joe Boot and Justin Trache. We, uh, I think, are done doing this study or at least trying to uh, 
drill down on what was uh, the key finding that uh, the children of same-sex couples fare worse overall when it comes to graduation rates or education, and especially when it's the girls of lesbian parents. And uh, But the boys fare better. They're more likely to have finished high school in gay households than in lesbian households. So somehow both girls in lesbian households uh, have the deck stacked against them, according to the study. And so uh, to those who say that uh, there is no difference when it comes to the makeup of the family, this study's takeaway is there are differences, and they're appreciable. So we'll leave it for now. I wanted to uh, get to maybe shifting uh, social mores. You know, the Mike Duffy case and the scandal that's embroiled the the Senate and uh, the PMO is rather telling. There was a time, and uh, people will tell you it wasn't too long ago, where perhaps a parliamentarian or somebody in uh, this position, as Duffy is, uh, would recuse themselves and do the honorable thing. It was sort of a British tradition, as I get mm-hmm. it. And uh, instead, he's now uh, going against his time out of tradition. Rather than just quietly going off into that good night, he's going down swinging, and he's indicting the PMO's moral compass and the rest. And, uh, well, give a listen to Mike Duffy yesterday. The millions of Canadians who voted for Prime Minister Harper and the thousands of Tories gathering in Calgary this week would be shocked to see how some of these people... Some of these Tories operate. They have no moral compass. Reverend Joe Boot, what do you make of this? I mean, uh, is this just, well, that's just the uh, new rules of engagement uh, when it comes to these kinds of things, the sense of honor. Uh, He's betraying a time-honored tradition, is he not? Well, you're right that it's uh, definitely linked to the British system, having grown up in Britain, I remember numerous uh, uh, scandals that would be immediately on the front page of the paper, and it would immediately lead to the person stepping down from their office, because there was an understanding that with uh, responsi- with um, position and authority comes a high degree of responsibility. And uh, a commun- the community, the social political community, does tend to hold its political figures to a higher standard than themselves, actually, more often than not. So is that what this is, a lowering of the bar, a lowering of the expectations? I guess Duffy, in his response, would say, my duties to the Queen and not to the PMO, even though he appointed me, and therefore I'm not going to be kneecapped by some, uh, you know, elected politician for that matter. Mm-hmm. Justin, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, I want to jump in on that, because when you mentioned the prime minister's office, I mean, one of the other traditions that comes, is, as Joe mentioned, with, uh, with great power giving great responsibility is the prime minister listening to his cabinet, the prime minister listening to his caucus, even backbenchers. And that tradition's broken down. It, it has been declining for a long time. Um, it, it is now uh, uh, in an unprecedented state of control under, under Stephen Harper. And I think the result is that the only... Uh, the only response from some of these these MPs or senators who are uh, not uh, not wanting to be party men or women anymore is to make these outbursts. In the case of Brent Rath, uh, Rathgeber, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, the, the Alberta MP who resigned from caucus uh, earlier this year um, because there were amendments made to his private member's bill, which ironically were meant to uh, increase accountability of, of public officials. Um, I, I think that is... All that's left to them, because that other great tradition of, of collaboration and compromise stemming from the prime minister, um, that has also broken down under our, our current PM. Yeah, I, I, I think that the issue of uh, moral accountability, it, it does reflect, don't forget, the political world is simply <clears throat> the differentiated public. So politicians only reflect the cultural compass of the time and age in which we live and of course as a as a christian i would say that you know we're not surprised i'm not surprised by this i'm not surprised by 
the declining political participation that people have in both political parties, in voter turnouts. There's a sense that people feel that there is corruption, there's, uh, people are disingenuous, there's, there's a lack of accountability at almost all of these different levels. So as one scandal after another breaks, I think people just are, are wearied with it. Well, that's a great insight because it's more than – you see, we get the polls now, the Tories have slipped – federally to third, and uh, it's more than just the damaging of the PC brand nationally. It's just the whole idea the political realm is seen as a den of thieves or immoral reprobates. And uh, to your point, Joe, I mean, maybe not as many people want to be civically engaged. You see that with low voter turnout. Is this poisoning all wells across the board? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that um, the, the the problem of a declining uh, public morality in every area, and it's linked to all the stories that we deal with on a, or most of them that we deal with on culture wars, is simply reflected in the uh, political sphere. And, um, and I think that is specifically tied to the, the loss of, of Christian biblical moral compass in the public sphere that we have been uh, through, especially cultural Marxism, specifically through our, our social engineering, seeking to undermine. You cannot continue to do that without there being actual I don't, I don't fruit. Really and outward, and out, well, uh, of course, uh, there's the, a connection. It's, a, it's the foundation of the, a culture. President Putin pointed this out last month about the West. Russians of, can see it. We can't. Concepts of democratic, representative, pluralistic government uh, do not stem from uh, Judeo-Christian traditions. Well, you're trying to trace them back to the Greeks. Judeo-Christian traditions are, are based on know. a set of, of commandment moralities. Um, that 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 have no real place for. Uh, I'm sorry, intellectual Politics diversity didn't begin with the French and, and, and Revolution. Justin didn't begin with the French Revolution. Uh, I, I, I didn't say that either. Well, uh, but the, but you're, I, I, that would be a simplistic notion that it began with one particular revolution. But it's equally simplistic to say that it came out of one particular. Well, religious right, but tradition. are our moral values <laughs> slipping here over the last generation or so? When we were saying right off the hop that you know it used to be politician if there was any whiff of scandal or taint surrounding them, they would just recuse themselves, step down, do the honorable thing until they were either exonerated or whatever, but they would leave. Now this guy's hanging in for dear life, and uh, it looks like it's a little tawdry to me, and I'm just wondering, is this symptomatic in general terms that we're sliding morally uh, somewhere backwards uh, and everything is being compromised? John, to slide morally, you have to have a standard from which you're sliding, which well, okay. is what Justin's denying, right? Is that no, in the, at the end of the day, you've got to have a, a base and a bedrock and the Christian democracy. Well, first, That's why it was first of all, Christendom. This is, this, is hardly, this is hardly the first political scandal. Okay, It's hardly it's the first time that, there's, that there has been a rift within a, a particular political party. What's been amazing is it's taken this long. I mean, the conservatives have been in power since, what, 2006? And, and uh, they, you know, they've had a, a pretty good fortress of of control and and it's and it's finally and inevitably I think given the length of time that but it's not Stephen just Harper's the conservatives it was Kretschmer it was the, yep. you know the whole thing with the ad scam you've got the gas plan cancellations here and that's as far back as our memory can go if we could remember further back I I, I think we would also to this have examples. extent to this degree I mean we would hold people to uh, a higher account Absolutely. or we would hope that they'd be made of sterner stuff as the old saying goes but it seems like they're not we're just uh, I think public perception. Of, of trust has changed. I, I'm, I'm certainly with you on that. But whether that reflects the fact that there actually are more scandals, there is more immorality, or does it reflect the fact that, that 
we're very informed about these things. You know, we're constantly tracking them. Uh, we have uh, social media that that keeps us, you know, informed immediately about anything that that Duffy has said that that's new on this. And it, I think, it could exaggerate. Uh, the importance of one particular scandal. So it's not a particularly wicked generation than the well, we're well me- media plays a role for sure in spreading these. But the reality is, I don't think we have a more informed public at all. I think we have a more ignorant public than ever before of the critical issues of our time. Uh, people are more ignorant about the realities of what, the, 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 the ability to think critically about these issues is in decline. Well, yes, but so we're conservatism, the same thing, Joe, that people are more informed ab- about. Maybe I shouldn't use that word, but they're more knowledgeable about certain, you know, big explosive headline stories at the expense of understanding a deeper context. Sure, which is if you look at conservatism as a whole, uh, you, and you look at uh, Canadian conservatism and the Tory Party. Well, this is unrecognizable from previous understandings of what social conservatism meant. We can talk about economic conservatism that has dominated the Conservative Party, but we've just had David Cameron in the UK uh, introduce a force through uh, same-sex unions as a conservative. So there is really very little left that we can call um, And now he's even becoming a nanny state prime minister introducing uh, 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 limitations on people's appropriate use of technologies and and access to the internet. There goes conservatism. Let's dovetail with that because that's my final salvo. The American Academy of Pediatrics has come out and stated that we've got to tamp down the use of uh, internet and other social media for kids because this is where it's all going off the rails. The kids are, uh, in some cases, on average, seven hours a day involved in this stuff. Can parents still exercise significant influence on their children's use of the internet and social media in this day and age, Joe Boot? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a parent. I have three children. And uh, I mean, what we did uh, as, as a family was to actually, we, we ditched cable a number of years ago, uh, cable TV, because we didn't want the uh, influence of all of that unrestricted stuff pouring into our front room. And uh, we don't have our children with smartphones and, uh, and internet, uh, 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 any sort of device that is going to give them uh, direct access to the internet. There's one computer in the front room that they are allowed to use with permission and supervised, essentially, so that we can do that. And, and I think that uh, children's, I think the study is very important because in terms of, look, when we were kids, we grew up in the 70s and 80s, Gen X, right? Yeah. When you talked about games and playing and, and soccer, it actually meant you put some shorts on and went out and played with a, with a leather ball and kicked, and, and we were perfectly healthy. There was, there was, uh, we, we didn't suffer as a generation because we were outside. It was activity. It was real. Mm-hmm. This digital age, which I grant we cannot turn the clock back on, doesn't mean, therefore, that because it is, it must be the dominant center of children's lives. This study says seven or eight hours a day children are into various forms of media. This is, this is certainly destroying their ability to think critically, and it's undermining education. Well, here's another one. Three-quarters of kids aged 12 to 17 own cell phones. Justin Trottier, is there a problem with that? Well, I, I think the, the proposal that's being put forward to deal with all this kind of technology and social media, I think it's taking a sledgehammer when there might be a, a, a better tool that's, that would be more appropriate because the the use of cell phones, the certainly the use of the internet, it, it is now inextricably linked um, to the, the resources that a child needs to succeed. And, and we talk about wanting to bring, say, high-speed internet to rural parts of Canada. That's because we acknowledge that without that kind of access, there's a problem. Uh, well, there, they say there could be an economic the, the American Pediatric Society who came up with this finding or this proposal is saying, you know, homework notwithstanding, 
Right now, the kids are spending uh, up to seven hours a day with social media and playing mm-hmm. online games and watching TV or you know streaming online. They want to restrict that to two hours. Uh, they'll leave it with the parents, but they think the two-hour window is more than adequate. Do you think that's too restrictive on kids this day with the proliferation of all these devices and how they interact, socialize, or is that about right? I think it's an interesting experiment. I, what, what, what concerns me, though, is that is whether kids won't then spend those two hours exclusively uh, using the technology for distraction and and avoid well, they using are now. It, right and, and avoid completely using it to, to do legitimate searches of of of, in, of information or, or whatever um important so can a parent still this is my original question uh can they exert enough influence or tamp their kids down to two hour a two hour window and feel secure that their kids are following you know the rules of the road there's definitely a problem all i'm saying i don't think the amount of time is the issue some kids need more access than others for legitimate reasons parents can't take a simple solution to this they need to be more aware of how their kids are using media, monitor the use in, a, in an appropriate way, and educate them on how to use it sure, successfully. This, this is certainly a health issue. This is why these pediatric uh, doctors are talking about it, is that addictions are real, and we know that it reprograms the brain in a certain way. Concentration levels are diminished by this. Look, John, I'm, a, I'm a, a pastor. When I speak to a congregation, pastors used to be able to speak for one to two hours. Now people drift, unless you're a very good communicator, 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, children are not able to concentrate in the way they used to. This is actually a health issue, and it's parents' responsibility to help their children succeed. Limiting their time on these things will do that. It will help we, them. We're not that. integrating Twitter into your, your sermons. That's the problem. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you got to yeah, start YouTube sending out stuff. tweets. You, 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 yeah. The merger between YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, you twip face, is definitely not part of the <laughs> right. church's uh, Guys, on that mandate. note, good discussion this morning on uh, three key issues. The Reverend Joe Boot, Senior Pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, and Justin Trache, Spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. We'll do it again real soon. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.